0: Jackie, did you hit your record button?
1: I did. Nice. Wait, do I have to hit mine?
0: I don't think you have one.
2: <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to our first iteration of our new tentative life, which is bringing on guests to interview. So for our first installment of this new series, we've invited on the project team for our MBTA work that we've done a couple of years ago. We have Elena from the Boston office. She's a designer with us. Hello. Hello, Elena. Hi. Um, And we have Vendela as well, who's also a designer, who's in the New York office currently. Hi. Hello, Vendela. The reason why we're doing this today is because our work with the MBTA has gone through a little bit of a renaissance in that we met up with the folks at Design Museum. Which is really cool. You should ch- you should all check it out. It's a really amazing organization that teaches the the transformative power of design to everyone. Um, and it's literally like a museum that's just there's no structure to it. It's just out and about everywhere. They have installments all over the city. It's really cool. But we chatted with them, told them about our work with the MBTA, and they were so into it. They wanted to make an article and feature it one of their editions of their magazines. So that's actually out now in the summer. Their summer 2020 issue. So we're chatting now just to kind of round that story out. You can check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes to that article. And we've also put a new case study on our site that also explains our work with the MBTA that we did a couple of years ago. So now we're going to be chatting about our work with them and what it was like.
0: So uh, to kick things off from what I know, the project had a pretty big uh, upfront research component. How did y'all dive into that like how did you start the project with at least the first phase of research
1: uh we had a kickoff meeting with their team that was sort of like the first day um jackie ran that just to kind of get an understanding of what the problem space was and you know what they were looking to do and they didn't really have a super super clear pointed scoped idea of like what exactly they wanted to do they just know that they wanted to improve Green Line Communications, which is like a really big topic <laughs> when you think about <laughs> communication. So we spent like the first month of that project just talking to people who worked on the T or work at the T, and from here on out, the T is the MBTA, um, as Jackie noted. <laughs> That's what we call it in Boston. We talked with operators. We talked with people who manage the operators, basically every level of hierarchy on the Green and. I guess we should also specify that this is for the green line specifically. Like many cities with transit, there's different lines that serve different areas and usually they're color coded. <laughs> and so this one is called the green line, which is a light rail, which is different from the heavy rail. Um, they kind of operate like um, street cars. So they have the power that comes through the top. So that little like thing that sticks up from um <laughs> streetcars in San Francisco or buses you might see um, in your particular city that, Um, that's where the electricity comes from. So it's a different system. At least that's what I gleaned from uh, working with them.
3: It's interesting too, because the Green Line
1: is both, it runs on the street and then it also
3: runs in the tunnels. So it's added complexity.
1: But yeah, we just wanted to get a clear sense of what it was like to work on the green line in different capacities, whether that was managing people, whether that was actually operating a train, whether that was sitting in a room that kind of looks like the bridge of the enterprise and looking over all the green lines and where they are in relation to everyone else and operating those patterns um what it was like and what that communication flow was like so just asking a lot of questions to people about what their day was like and asking them to give us um examples of stories of like times where you know they were frustrated or times where like a day went really well and getting some interesting stories from that
0: out of some of those first initial conversations what's the most interesting story Both. It sounds like you did success and failures, kind of. What was the best success story or best failure story?
3: The ones that stick out in my mind were the more shocking ones. Things that you don't see on your daily commute that you didn't realize were happening. So people coming on with weapons to the trains and threatening people or really intense medical emergencies or just really kind of crazy things that were happening that we had no idea people that work on the T system we're having to deal with.
2: One thing to the note is the conductors of the trains, you know, are not allowed to have cell phones with them at all. So the only way you can communicate with them is through the radio. Mm-hmm. And there was only at that point, they're only using one channel to communicate. So anytime anyone had to go on the radio for anything, it would take up the airtime. That was something that was an insight that kind of came out and that kind of stems from a lot of these stories that y'all are saying that, you know, if something was happening that was unsavory, it was kind of really hard to get that word out sometimes if they're using the radio to, let's say, back a train into, you know, into a yard or something. That became quickly, I know we did a ton of interviews and we had a lot of insights, I think like over 20 insights from these interviews. And looking at all of them, reducing the radio chatter sounded like something that we could really focus in on at least for the next couple of months and then hopefully to extrapolate that. And we have and they have and they keep iterating on the thing that we created. And also looking at how they were getting their information about train locations, they meaning the officials and just people in general on the green line, They were using all different sources of information from apps in the app store to like a random web page on MBTA, like kind of buried. Like, I'm like, where did you find that (laughs) map? (laughs) Um, And they all had just different information, kind of. I say kind of because it was all there, but just the interfaces were different. How they were accessing it was different. It just wasn't all the same thing. So. We figured this is an opportunity to actually give them something that's like a unified source of truth to hopefully answer some questions that they would be asking on the radio, like, you know, who's operating which train, as an example, or like, where is this train? You know, they can just look on this device on their device and see that and not have to go on the radio to ask that.
3: And then hopefully if some person comes, you know, brandishing multiple knives onto the train, they have the airspace to tell someone, yes. <laughs> hey, it'd be cool if someone came and helped me out right now.
2: Totally. That or like, you know, fallen branches. <laughs> <Something>
3: <laughs> yeah. Or something
2: that. Less sinister. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. One thing, just sort of backtracking to us starting the research, I remember One thing that I thought was really nice that Jackie organized in the beginning of the project was all of us read Just Enough Research by Erica Hall uh, to kick off the project. And so we had this sort of shared system and procedure for how we were approaching all the interviews. And I just remember finding that really helpful that we were all referencing the sort of same concepts and things like that.
2: Yeah, that's true. That was helpful. I know that was like, the, this was like the first project that all of us have been on that was so research intensive. Mm-hmm. Mm. It was nice to have all pulling from the sim- like similar vocabulary and things like that, just to kind of be on the same page. Oh my God, literally.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but did the people from the MBTA side of things also read that book with us or was it just our team? I
2: th- I think I
0: shared it with their team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How were some of these interviews conducted? I, I know in just enough research, Erica Hall talks about different ways to collect information. It sounds like there's some potential for like, and, and y- y'all have talked about some direct interview. Did you also do any ethnographic research just like sitting and watching?
3: Yeah, we did. Uh, Elena mentioned working from that. Um, hub where we could see what did you call it again (laughs)
1: it's like the bridge of the enterprise Um, (laughs) yeah the OCC operations control yeah exactly you (laughs) walk in and it's just like a wall of like this like sort of u-shaped screen and you can see a network map of the trains and where they're all sitting so each train has like a number assigned to it so you can see where where it is, like what stop it's at, what loop it's doing, um, all that kind of stuff. It's pretty bananas. As well
3: as camera footage from the stations
1: and things like that. Oh, right. Yeah, we watched someone like (laughs) doing push-ups on like one of the platforms for a while. It's (laughs) really (laughs) weird. (laughs) Interesting
2: thing too is that we were doing this in the winter, just as the winter was about to start. And so there was a couple of really big storms And a couple of the MBTA folk ventured out to sit and camp out at the, at that control center to see how they were responding to a ton of snow and like just basically disasters.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. That was the year of the bomb cyclone. That's where like a bunch of the stations flooded, like part of downtown was flooded so much that like some cars just became like encased in ice um, because it was all winter ice. So fun. Um, but yeah, Yeah. that's interesting to see.
2: Yeah. You know, in the beginning we were like, Oh, this is going to be great because we can see it in like the hardest time of the year. But then afterwards I was like, we didn't need to do that. (laughs) 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 It actually made it harder. I mean, we were trudging out. It was so cold and so dreary out and we were just like, go to all these stations and we would split the team would split up. So we'd meet at the MBTA office and then, like, two of uh, two people would go interview someone at, you know, Riverside Station, which is, like, a, the, the terminal station for the Green Line. And then someone else would go – I think that's – well, for one of them, I think the, the D-line. Yep. And then someone else would go somewhere else, you know, a couple – like, a pair would go somewhere else and interview. And we just co- – we covered a lot of ground that way. And then we wanted to make sure we made a point to come back to the MBTA office at the end of the day and synthesize. So mm-hmm. we were doing two to three interviews almost daily. I mean, we, had, we, we couldn't do that every day. That was very exhausting <laughs> to do that every day. So I think we were doing like every other day. I think we would go out.
0: How many of the interviews were on site? Were, was it 100%? So you were traveling to different tea locations, mm-hmm. yeah. tea stops yep. yeah. to interview different, different people along yeah. the way?
1: There's a couple of kind of hubs along the way on on the Green Line where if you are an operator, if you just work on the Green Line, like you, you can start your day from that particular station and sign in and you have like your locker or whatever. So we would meet up with people sometimes there, but also we would do some ride alongs on the train as well and talk to people. Um, so kind of just depended on where that person that we were able to talk to was that day. So we would go out and meet them.
3: The only thing that wasn't on site was that we were actually monitoring the radios from the MBTA office sometimes. So we got an extra radio and we would have it playing, uh, mm. which sometimes was a lot to listen to while you're also you know, doing all the other work we were doing. Yeah. But every now and then something interesting would happen.
0: So once you conducted all of this, how did you distill it down to uh, Jackie you said earlier that that the biggest problem was that radio chatter? How did you like work together to distill that down to the the main problem that y'all were going to solve for?
2: A lot of post-it notes.
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so many post-it notes.
2: Yeah. So we we would come back from interviews and just do a brain dump of everything that we've heard that was that was interesting, things that were new things that we've, I don't know, just that we've heard. It's easier to have like um, a lens like that because you 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 know you hear everything, it's like all new. But like, what, what were the nuggets from that conversation that were actually like things that could be actionable, you know? So we all did that after every interview and then eventually clustered a lot of just all the similar insights we heard. And then when we clustered everything and then just labeled what that cluster was. So we had like 20 plus clusters of things.
3: I think we redid the clusters a few times as well. As Mm -hmm. new things would happen, we had to rethink what categories we were displaying and and focusing on. Um, And I'm sure that, you know, if we had redone it now, later, or if we had just thought about things differently at the time, there's always ways to categorize things differently. So, but eventually you have to make some decisions. And I think we zeroed in on what we thought when we looked at our list of, I don't know how many we had, maybe 10 categories of, uh, insights that then we prioritize them. And then like we talked about earlier, we sort of rallied around this communication on the radio as, as a main issue that mm-hmm. maybe we could actually have an impact on.
2: Yeah. We, we voted, we voted on the, on the categories and there were actually like 30 of them, I'm like looking at this picture right now, there's so oh, wow. much information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we dot voted on things that we thought were the most crucial to solve now. And because the radio chatter thing was something that was actually getting in the way of safety, that was something we were like, "This is pretty. This is pretty crucial."
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the radio chatter topic also hit on some other topics that we came to realize in our affinity boarding and our um, coming together of all these things that we've heard in our interviews. There was this interesting human quality to the communication issue, which I think (laughs) there's always a human quality when you talk about like designing a product, but because of the overload of communication over the radio and the inability of operators to communicate like with people who are overseeing the train um, easily, the people who are overseeing them kind of just see them as a number, a train number, they have like an operator number. And that's how they operate. And that's how they operate, you know, with efficiency but it takes out the fact that they like the people driving these trains are actual human people that have lives and need to be on a schedule. And say, for example, a train gets rerouted and needs to do another run because it's off schedule, and then that person actually needs to get home to their kid, that creates some kind of like, you know, it can create animosity, it can create some difficulties at each level. How do you as an operator um, advocate for yourself when you are just a number in the system. And so improving that communication, we would hope would have some kind of trickle effect of allowing everyone managing operators to know more about them um, and to Mm -hmm. know what their day in day out was like and to know what their schedule might be like so they could make maybe more informed decisions about what trains they were riding, who was going to be on those trains.
2: And that also brings up another point of how heavily the system relied on paper. And, Mm. you know, at the beginning of the day of five, I guess the first trains ran around 5. AM you have, you see who's, who's taking the train out and you have your operator on that list. And if you call out sick, like calling out sick is actually incredibly difficult. They do it, of course, but because of that, that's a change. That's like a paper change. And it's hard to bubble that up for everybody to see since it's only just a change made in a static way. So even like hearing about that and how the process around figuring out who's covering for who, it's just very, it's just very difficult. So we're like, can we surface that information in a, in a digital way to make it accessible to everyone, you know, on, on the line?
3: Another aspect that was pretty important that I think, I think we had a big impact on was that, People, if they wanted to see these random app store apps or maps that they found online, they had to bring their own phone or something Mm -hmm. to work that day. And if they didn't bring it, then they didn't have access to it. Or if they chose not to because they weren't comfortable doing that, they also didn't have access to it. We really advocated for giving each person, and we started with a small group and tested it out, their own device to be viewing the thing that we were building for them so that everyone would have access to the same amount of information on the same platform.
0: That brings me to my next question, which is like, so you've done all this research, you've identified what the problem is. How did you start to come up with solutions and then prototype and test those solutions to make sure that they were the right ones?
1: They already had a network map that some people had been using, but it wasn't very accessible. So this was like a aerial view of where the trains are. <laughs> so we started out with that idea. Um, we did do some speedy eight exercises to hone in on these communication methods. And um, we went through that exercise. But we turned over to that that network map and improving that idea of how do we get an easy aerial view of all the trains? And also, how do we get it in a format that is small for smaller viewports? Because we were thinking that a lot of these officials that were managing where the trains were wouldn't have access to a desktop computer, they would be mostly on a phone or a tablet. So designing around that idea and also designing for an environment where they might be in very bright sun or uh, being outside. So we wanted to make it like really easy, really accessible, considering their environment and what access they had and so we looked at this network graph. I think that that was sort of like the starting point for things is improving that network graph to to show where the trains were on what line mm-hmm. and showing the numbers really clearly where they were in relation to which stop on that particular line. Yeah, one of the one of the
2: most common questions asked on the radio was who is driving, who's operating this train. And that takes a minute. That takes a little bit to actually get an answer and then you're waiting for this answer, you know? So we're like, okay, how do we give them something that has that information in it already? So that was kind of the start of it. And then from there, it was like, well, okay, if we want to see who's operating the train, they probably would want to select the, that particular train or that particular car. So it's like, okay, well, servicing that, that's that's a map view, you know? And then, as Elena was saying, all those disparate sites they were using, let's just all consolidate into one. And so... It was proved to be difficult. And later, you know, we can talk about this later on, but it was difficult to surface that information about who's driving the train because it, it all live on paper. So it actually required some manual entry at first. I think they're probably still iterating on that right now. Oh, we also had to figure out who was using it too because we had we had all different people we talked to. So the people at the OCC, the operations control center, the people who are actually at the desks, will they be using this? Will the supervisors be using this? Is it the operators? They they don't have, they can't have phones, so probably so no. You know, so that was also a consideration.
3: Just thinking back to uh one of the methods we used was Actually bringing out, I think Jackie was on your phone, we had the Envision prototype and we were asking them, like, would you be willing to enter information in this even just to start? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. is this useful? Is this any extra information than what you're used to? And we, we like slowly gathered information that way to see what we should scrap and what we should leave in there. I would also just like to mention that everyone we talked to was just the most wonderful person <laughs> ever. And yeah. I think a lot of the answers we got were like, well, this is extra work for me to enter it on paper and in the phone. But I would totally do that if it meant that eventually I could, I could do it in one place and I would have more mm-hmm. information and things like that. They were mm-hmm. very willing to try new things just to get a little bit more help. Definitely.
0: That's Awesome. To be working with people who are excited about what mm-hmm. you're what you're working on.
1: Oh yeah, you're yeah. so <laughs> down to to have more clarity <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as to where where trains were and who was operating them. So yeah,
2: I have like a very visceral memory of it was freezing and going into those one, like one of those little booths, you know, oh like on, on the outside tracks with with someone like just a supervisor, and it's just me and her in this tiny little booth, and I'm just like, this is. So this is very close, um,
1: <laughs> and like this
2: person is in this booth like all the time. It's it really does help to actually go to see where your, you know, the people who are using your app, like where they are and what they're doing on a daily basis, and like what their desk looks like, and it's, just, it's really interesting.
3: Totally. And even just watching them having to take off their big winter gloves to touch your yes. phone or, God, yes. um, you know, they had these iPads or tablets of some sort for mm-hmm. a while that they were viewing things on. So seeing the big case with the like fat screen protector on it that yeah. they had to click on and things like that, it really makes you design differently when you're picking your interface and things like that. Mm hmm. For sure.
1: I mean, that actually led us to a lot of like tasks and questions about technology and how that was going to be disseminated amongst like, you know, people who are going to be using this. And so it was like questions of like, what kind of devices are we going to be giving them? Because people were very adamant about being given devices and not using personal devices. And will they be charged? What if there's like a broken screen? How quickly can that get fixed? Um, Because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're out and about on, you know, on the platform and things can happen to these devices really easily. So there was a lot of questions that came about the logistics of being able to even access this on a device and what that looked like, given the environment that they're working in.
0: When you started prototyping, were you testing specific things? It seems like there, there came some really interesting insights from having that Envision clickable prototype. When you went in, were you specifically testing like usage or, or something else?
2: Some of them were the, just the concepts, like what information should we be surfacing? So one other thing for the radio chatter angle was actually reporting... Um, malfunctions on trains, whether doors, you know, not opening or closing, whatever, right? So one of our earliest iterations of the prototype was actually surfacing that information and giving them the ability to input when something wasn't working right. So that actually, after a few rounds of showing that with people, we kind of scrapped that idea, just because it wasn't, it just wasn't as important as the other things, which was, you know, servicing operator information and just train location. Because they already have a system in place to handle malfunctions, and it it wasn't really so much of an issue that everyone was experiencing who'd be using the app. So that was like an example of something that we just eventually cut, because it just would have bloated the scope anyway.
3: It's also maybe important to mention that the MBTA had its own goals for measuring how successful this was, and Mm -hmm. among that was trying to measure whether the times in which the trains were running were more even or faster or improved at all. And so some of what we were doing sort of had to fall into that category. Is this something that will improve this? Can we measure this somehow? Will this add Mm -hmm. to the value and success of the project in this way? Because obviously we want to improve these people's lives and help them day to day, but we're only going to do that if we're able to prove that it actually helped the efficiency of the the green line and things like that too.
2: Mm -hmm. And you're referring to, um, I believe they call it spacing, like the the time in between trains. Yeah. Sometimes they're bunched and you would really see that in the OCC on those screens. You'd see all these little like pixels (laughs) Mm -hmm. like bunched together and you're like, Oh, there's clearly a problem there, you know? That's also an interesting point too. I sat down with one of the designers on their team to write out experiments and hypotheses and seeing if we reduced radio chatter, that was a very hard thing to test and to really understand if we've reduced that. I mean, the only way you can really know is if you were to listen to the radio like every day, all day, count the number of times they ask those questions that we're trying to solve and surface like through the app. And no, I mean, we didn't do that. (laughs)
3: <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> no. but i think there was talk about doing some sort of auto recording like voice to text over yeah. the radio to try to capture yeah. things so i mean we we had some very lofty out of the box ideas to try to tackle these problems i know we we talked about having uh, apple watches as part of our solution because the operators couldn't bring phones we we had all these solutions that we considered before we sort of ended up going back to improving this network map and adding a bunch of features to it Mm -hmm. yeah
0: i can see analyzing the uh radio chatter as being like more work than building the app yeah Yeah. Yeah. we didn't have the time for it
1: right and it was you know sometimes the radio chatter got to be like super chaotic and then it comes back to like how helpful is it in the long, if you have to go back and like reread the transcripts and Mm reanalyze them? Yeah.
0: For this radio chatter, I'm just picturing people with like thick Boston accents yelling at each other.
1: Dude, the amount of
0: times
2: I've actually heard like how many cars are parked in Harvard
0: yard. (laughs) It's unbelievable.
2: (laughs) I was like, they have to be joking, right?
0: (laughs) Okay, so you go through this research phase, identify a problem, come up with a bunch of solutions, figure out which is the best one, throw it out to the whole green line, like what, what goes after that?
1: No, we, we identified like a core group of people to test this out. And so we wanted to only test it out with like, I don't know, maybe like three or four people at, at a time, but three or four particular people, three or four people that would be in the same communication network. So people who are working perhaps the same shift on different lines that would be using this to help them communicate. So it wasn't going to be in isolation because this was a way for us to improve that insight into where trains are and to lower that radio chatter. We wanted to make sure that we were testing strategically and we were testing with people who would be in possibly in communication with each other over the radio at a certain time.
2: Yeah, that was important, like the actual rollout, like figuring out really like who's going to get this thing. And we also just started building it. So we had our Envision prototype. We got it whittled down to what was what was essential after doing a whole, you know, a few weeks of going out, showing it, iterating on the design, going out again, showing it, iterating. And once we got to a good spot, we started building it. And that's where, you know, again, we were embedded in the, in the MBTA, like a tiny project team there too with, with three, three people on their end and three on ours. So they just started doing that. And then, you know, Vendela took the prototype and then started putting the visual design layer on that. So we all just worked in unison together and slowly, once we you know started building and deploying it, and then once we got it to a point where this is completing a flow, <laughs> which is at that point it was just showing train locations tapping on the train, seeing the the detail of like the number and just showing where trains where trains were at that point. That's when we just released it to that small group of people that we just that we just mentioned.
0: awesome. Is this app, Jackie, you said it's still being worked on today?
2: Yeah, the team, when we rolled off, the team just kept going with it and kept iterating on it, kept bringing it out, showing into going into the field, getting more feedback, and just kept adding features. That's a lot of the things, too, that we had in our backlog. So that's been really cool to see that happening. It's, it's awesome.
3: It was really cool to see them improve on our ideas too. So we started with something and then you could see that they figured out a slightly better way to display it or adding another layer or something like that. And that was really exciting to see them still thinking about it and definitely for the better.
1: Oh yeah. When we first started, we struggled with, you know, you would have these hubs, for example, there's a station called park street where you can have maybe like four to five trains. Park there at the same time because that's where all the various lines of the Green Line converge, and so like you know, with our initial iteration, we struggled like how do we show like all these trains stacked up on top of each other in the same area without yeah taking too much screen real estate, and that was tricky. And we kind of like figured out like a solution for that, but they they figured out like a way better way to do that um, afterward, which was awesome to see.
0: Well, we're at about time, so Vendela Elena. What's the best way if they want to follow along with any other work that you're doing or reach out?
1: Sure. You can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> I don't really tweet things that often, though, but you can get in touch with me there.
2: What cool. is your Twitter handle?
1: My Twitter <laughs> handle is my name, Elena Natario, which we nice. can put in the show notes. Yep. Love
3: it. <laughs> People can find me on Twitter as well, but I don't honestly know the last time I tweeted and it was probably something about cheese or dog. Um, so <laughs> <All> <laughs> but you can important. definitely contact me there. Like,
0: <laughs> that's the best use of Twitter. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think that's how I only use Twitter. I don't use it either. <laughs>
3: <laughs> also, you can email me just vandal at thoughtbot.com.
0: Uh, well, thank you both for being on our little podcast
3: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank
2: you.
0: I think this was like probably the most inform, like informational tentative ever.
2: (laughs) Yeah. In like a very direct way. Yes. You don't have to like (laughs) glean. Um, Yeah. So thank you all for keeping us in line.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think it's part of the charm of tentative.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So for more tentative um, information, you can check out show notes at tentative.fm. You can tweet at us at tentative.fm. You can email us hosts at tentative.fm and rate us on iTunes. Five stars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All of the stars. stars.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: All the stars available. Please give them to us.
0: Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.